Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Rodrigo, and right alongside each and every week, of course, is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller, and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Welcome back, Cindy. Um, we're always uh, always glad to have you right alongside here. It always makes the show that much more fun and and uh, when you're away, and, and uh, it gets a little lonely here on, on, the, on the network, but I appreciate uh, always having you here alongside. Uh, of course, we've got a great show for you this morning. Going to have a slight, a little bit program change. Uh, we were going to have a, uh, the winner of this past weekend's uh, Symmetra Tour event, the um, Prasco Charity uh, Championship, uh, but unfortunately she uh, got kind of caught up in some travel and uh, isn't going to make, us, uh, make, make it with us this morning. Uh, but we're very uh, grateful to have the uh, Symmetra Tours media and public relations official, Zach Sapanik, uh is going to fill in for her, and, and we've got some great questions lined up for him. And then a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by uh, the founder and president of Tina Toombs uh, Golf uh, out in Arizona. Tina Toombs herself is going to be joining us. Uh, we're excited to have her as well on the show. But let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live uh, every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And, of course, the best way to find us is to go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key just type women of golf uh, and we're there live uh, front and center every Tuesday from 9 to 10. Um, Also for some reason if you can't join us live just scroll down uh, on the page and you'll find the on-demand section of course that's where all of the previously aired shows including today's will be there a little bit later on uh, and you can listen to the recorded version if you can't join us live but we're always grateful that you're tuning in and we appreciate the the vast growing audience each and every week from literally all around the globe so thank you for all of your continued support uh, also if you want to uh, reach out to either Cindy or I uh, best way to do so is to contact us through our e- uh, emails we're always uh, happy to hear from you uh, Cindy's email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com or sorry, Cindy Miller, uh, Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com, and mine is Ted.GolfTalkLive at gmail.com. My apologies for that, Cindy. Um, but uh, also, if you want to call into the show, we'd always love to hear from you. You're welcome to call it. Uh, number is area code 347-945-5855. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we were going to be joined this morning by uh, Mooney He, who is the uh, winner of the Symmetra Tours inaugural Prasco Charity uh, championship that was held out at TPC Rivers Bend. Um, but as I said, she's uh, not going to be able to join us as it turns out this morning uh, due to some travel conflicts. But uh, our, our good friend, uh, again, Symmetra, uh, Symmetra Tours media and public relations official Zach Sapanik has joined us. Good morning, Zach. Good morning, Ted, Cindy. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for being here. Well, we here. appreciate it. Um, so let's start with the obvious, obvious uh this past weekend, you guys had a great event. 
uh, at uh, one of the TPC. Tell us a little bit about the event, and then inevitably, of course, uh, how it fi- how it uh, finished up. Sure thing. Yeah, a great inaugural event at TPC Rivers Bend in Mainville, Ohio, the Prasco Charity Championship. It was the first LPGA Tour family event contested at a uh, course owned and operated by the PGA Tour. So a little bit of history was made this weekend. And Mooney He from Chengdu, China, um, she lives out in L.A. now, but um, she kept a wire-to-wire victory on Sunday with a uh, bogey-free five-under par final round. So 15-under par overall performance landed her her first professional title. Um, she spent two semesters at um, University of Southern California before turning pro in December. So she's she's had quite a transition. Uh, when she turned pro, she was only 18, not 19 years old now. So she's had quite the transition from amateur to uh, professional life and kind of a culmination of all her hard work this year. She talked to me a lot about how um, the transition has been maybe a little more challenging than she had originally thought. And uh, she's she's definitely put in the, the work, obviously, to get to where she wants to, especially with a, a 15 under par overall performance. Um, some numbers that really stood out uh, with her performance. Um, she had 39 of 42 fairways over the three rounds. Averaged 28 putts per round, and then wow. hit 45 of 54 greens in regulation. Um, and if you throw everything else into it, she she basically had uh, almost a near flawless performance from the standpoint of bo- bogeys, birdies, and pars. She only had one double bogey in the whole tournament, and then that was combined with 13 birdies and two eagles. So she she uh was on her a game to say the least and it showed by winning the tournament by four strokes wow wow um cindy that's a that's a dream student there to work with isn't it (laughs) yeah almost you know again i just wrote an article for the lpga women's network about consistency and basically the definition is boring (laughs) same thing over and over again which uh clearly that's what um she was doing which is what the the goal is for all of us so you know wow that's just awesome what how long does she drive it because all these girls we're talking to fly at like 250 yeah her uh i want to say her her number was right around the 250 mark two south i want to say 257 um i mean yeah she's and if you and if you look at her in person, she's she's tiny, tiny little thing, and she just bombs the ball, and you would never, never expect it from her. But the, the thing goes a mile. Yeah, her her driving distance um, over the rounds was two forty two and a half in round one, two fifty seven and a half in round two, and two seventy two and a half in round three. Oh my God! Wow, I know, <laughs> I know, Cindy. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with, uh, with some of these young players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let me ask you, uh, Zach, I know the last several weeks that we've, we've had the, the players on, um, we've seen them inching up the, uh, the Volvic uh, uh, race, if you will. This puts her now at number 13, so she's, she's moving up. Tell us a little bit about the race for the card, obviously how that works, 
and, and what they're really trying to strive for uh, in that competition. Yeah, sure thing. So Mooney went from number 47 to number 13 with her performance. She's just over the 24K mark over 10 events played. So she's steadily climbing, obviously finding her game. But uh, the Volvic Race for the Car, the top 10 players on the uh, money list at the end of the season on the Symmetra Tour will graduate onto the LPGA Tour with full-time membership for the 2019 season. Um, that's uh, That's been happening every year now um, since, let's see here, early 2000s. So, um, it's, I mean, obviously what, what makes the Symmetra Tour unique is, is that fact, uh, the official qualifying tour of the LPGA. And, you know, you have girls like right now, you have Jenny Haglund at number one in the Volvic race for the card uh, from Karlstad, Sweden. Right. Um, previ- previously played on the LET. You talked to her last month. Previously played on the LET, one of yep. one of many European players that have come over and, and tried their hand at, at getting there. Um, another another example um, is... Uh, a young a youngster at number eight, Pajeri and Anna Rukarn. She's um she's from Thailand, but um she's come over and, and made an instant impact in the game at a young age. So you have you have that influx of talent from overseas that we've always talked about and the Volvic race really gives those the girls that opportunity to strive for, for the next stage and in addition you have Q series coming up at the end of this year, which is the new LPGA format for qualifying school and numbers 11 through 30 on the Volvic race automatically earn a buy into the Q series. So they'll, they won't have to go to Q1 qualifying school stage one. They won't have to go to Q2 state qualifying school stage two. They'll bypass right to Q series, which will be a two week cumulative tournament uh, down at Pinehurst resort. So, um, even if you're not in that top 10, obviously you strive for that top 10. And that's, that's the main goal of every girl on the Symmetra Tour. But 11 through 30 gives you a pretty good opportunity because uh, the amount of full-time LPGA cards that are going to be handed out there are going to, is going to be quite uh, quite a quite larger amount than in years. So that's it's not a bad spot to, to be in still, but obviously t- top 10 is the goal. Wow. Sure. And I've noticed – yeah, I've noticed here um, – as well, Zach, that there is a rather large contingency, if you will, of international players. I mean, we had a couple from Sweden on uh, just, as you said, a few weeks back. Uh, and then here back to back last week, of course, we had uh, Rajin uh, from China as well. And then obviously, uh, unfortunately, we're not going to have her, but uh, Muni uh, is the winner this week. So you're getting quite an international flavor. Do you know what the percentage is of international players now on the, on the, uh, compared to us, uh, on the, uh, symmetry roughly? I don't know the percentage. Um, but I know that there's, I want to say our overall, our symmetry tour membership is around 488 players and they're represented by, I want to say 46 countries total. So wow. the, um, the amount of, um, the amount of, of players that are coming, yeah, 488 players from 46 countries. The United States has 233 of those players in membership. But, you know, you have Canada has 21 players. England has 12. Right. Mexico has 12. South Korea, 14. Sweden, 25. Thailand, 13. So 
those are the numbers that kind of pop out in, in the double-digit form. But, you know, Australia with eight, Germany with nine, Japan with eight. So you have plenty of plenty of places, Spain with eight. Um, obviously, a, a large contingent still from the United States just because it is the United States tour. But those numbers are growing. And when I threw that number out to some of our staff members at the beginning of the year, their jaws hit the floor. 46 countries representing a tour that's that that if that doesn't describe a global tour unlike any other i don't know what does yeah that's uh that's very impressive and i i know too from uh, some of the players you know that we've talked to um that uh, especially uh some of the the countries particularly that maybe don't have uh, as big of a a number at this point of of uh you know players uh, that are, have qualified uh, it's creating a, a big impact back home uh, because it's drawing uh, golf back in their regions that maybe uh, golf was not really in the forefront, but now it's it, they're taking interest because they're seeing uh, their you know their fellow country uh, men, if you will, or women in this case, uh, playing in a sport that traditionally maybe uh, might not have been there. So obviously that's having a very positive impact uh, in in their local uh, uh, areas as well. Correct. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that that's unique is you have these girls who are who are winning tournaments and 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 back home they might not have not have had, you know, especially in the in, in the Asian Asian regions where there's some some girls who I know that I've talked to where you know, golf's a sport that it's almost like a a lost island where it hasn't been discovered for hundreds of thousands of years and it's just now being picked up. And um I think that's that's special is that these girls, especially from a from an LPGA standpoint, is these girls are are having an impact in not only the communities they travel to, but in their communities back at home where they're showcasing their skills on a national stage and they're getting recognition. But in turn, people are people are joining the game and and finding ways to get involved because of them. Right, exactly, and that that's what I'm saying is is they're obviously creating a very positive impact back home by exposing uh, their regions to a sport that maybe they normally uh, didn't get a lot of, uh, you know, exposure before in the past. So I think that's fantastic. Um, Cindy, I, I know you probably have a, a question or two for Zach. What is the best thing you do in your job? Oh, the best thing I do in my job, wake up every morning and go to a golf course. Do you play golf? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I dabble. I don't, I don't pretend to be a scratch golfer or anything like that. But I used to, I used to work at a, a country club back uh, home in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for about eight years, and so I, I got plenty of golf experience with that. Uh, you know, you do the old finish, finish the, finish the carts at night, and it's still light, and you go out for an hour until it's pitch black and, and play all the time. So I have those plenty of those experiences. One shot of 77 to my name. I will say that. But other than that, wow. I, uh, wow. yeah, the, the golf game, wow. I'm, I'm not at that point anymore. But I just I, I, I enjoy covering it a little more than playing it now. Good. Wow. Yeah, 77 is a good score. That's nothing to to sneeze at for sure. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Well, that was that uh, that was back in the day, Ted, when I was when I was playing yeah. six times six times a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, what Cindy? was your major in college? 
So I actually I I finished up uh, my undergrad at Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan, just outside Grand Rapids, and um, my my major there was journalism. I had, originally had wanted to do print journalism and and go write for a newspaper, but I kind of realized where that industry was headed and switched to the TV side of things, realized I didn't have enough TV experience um, when I when I was finishing up at Grand Valley, so I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma to get my master's degree in uh, strategic communication, which encompasses public relations and marketing and advertising and and as well as journalism and uh, communications research. So kind of got a taste of everything in the communications spectrum during my my college days, you could say. Well, that's good. Now, how long have you been with the LPGA? So I started the LPGA in October of last year. So uh, stage two was my first tournament I worked with, worked, um, oh, worked wow. full-time. So when you're right in. Yeah, that's throwing me right in. And, you know, every stop out here this year is new to me, and I'm learning along the way. But, I mean, it's great. You get – we have 21 events, 16 different states, traveling. You know, I've been able – on off weeks, I've been able to visit New York City – for the first time and um, up in Green Bay uh, for the LPGA tournament this week. So, yeah, it it sends me all kinds of places that either I haven't been or I like to visit again or um, get to see the country, obviously, with some drives and see it from uh, the skies as well. So it's it's a pretty good gig. That's a great thing. Well, you do a great job with us. (laughs) I got news for you. Not everybody cares. (laughs) So we're thrilled. Oh, good. That's yeah, a good no, thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, we. Yeah, we enjoy having the the players come on. It's it's interesting each week um, because they are so uniquely different. Um, obviously, in personalities and that, um, you know, you get uh, you get some obviously a little little shyer than others. And then you get some that just you know come out full force and, and just want to uh, are excited and and uh, just in their in their personality alone. So it's it's very interesting to see the different dynamics. Um, Zach, I want to ask you a question um, about social media. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask Muni, of course, was about her uh, as an example. Her Instagram page has one hundred fourteen thousand followers it actually um, has increased quite a bit yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure that was that it's was actually, just going from the actually, notes that, that you yeah it's actually at 144,000 holy wow cow. yeah so <laughs> so let me ask you why it, why does she have more than most what does she do that's different better can you tell us? Well, there's two answers. I'll give you the the, P, the politically correct answer. Um, she's she's a she's a young female from a, a country that is, I would say, in in the in the technology world and um, in the social media age is highly advanced. Um, one thing I've noticed since I even obviously I've had social media for a while, but even just noticing it since I started with the LPG in October is a lot of, there's a large presence in, in European countries. And there's a, I think there's a larger demographic that cares about um, maybe golf 
in a, in a, from a local perspective, you know, like you get, you get an LET, a ladies European tour account, for example. And, you know, they have, they have a, a, a huge following and, I think that shows the, what the European flavor for golf is, and and their their nature of of wanting the information they have. Their, for example, their Twitter account has a little over thirty seven thousand followers. So, um, and then you get someone like Mooney who has a following like she does, and I've talked to some of her um, some of her camp before, and and some of the players that are friends with her. And if you ask if you ask them, they'll say that. Her presence in China, she's more famous than Shen Shen Feng. And you know Shen Shen Feng, who has a pretty good wow. track record on the LPGA Tour. So um, I think maybe that puts a little pressure on her. But uh, I, I don't. as a 19-year-old in the digital age, I don't think that gets to her head too much. I think it's more fun for them than anything. And I don't think it necessarily makes them makes them think about it as much as we think it does. You know, that's in, so it's interesting it's, because – go ahead, Cindy. Does she have, like, a really extroverted personality? Oh, she's extremely nice and outgoing, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing about her that you – if you met her and, and talked to her, there's nothing that you wouldn't like about it. I mean, she's a likable person. Uh, she's easy to be around, easy to talk with, and you know I think she smiles more than any human being on the planet. But yeah, there's there's nothing that that would ever that would ever turn you away from a, a good conversation with her. Cool. Yeah, and and you know it makes you yeah it makes you wonder you know again I, obviously it's a generational thing. A lot of the the younger uh, generation are very big into social media, um, but what do you think – I mean, obviously, she's not the only tour player that, that has social media accounts because I know some of the others that have been on have, have mentioned about, um, you know, after their win, they'll post something up on social media. Uh, is this primarily for them a, a way uh, not only to uh, stay in touch with, with those that support them but also a way of, of you know, communicating? Because many of them, like you said, coming from China, you know, Sweden and, and Australia and that, they're – oftentimes far away from family and home. So this is kind of a way for them to kind of communicate, uh, hey, what's happening, you know, over here in the United States when they're playing on tour. Is that, uh, I think, another reason as well that a lot of them, um, you know, keep in contact like that through social media? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they can, with away from family, they can post pictures updating what's going on. Um, obviously, I'm sure they, they're still connected with their family off social media, but social media gives that outlet and platform to where, during a round or um, after a round, you know, when they're just finishing up, family members can kind of keep an keep an eye on how they did or, or what's going on. So yeah, it's a, it's a good platform for connecting still with family and and that. But also, I think there's a large just base of you know, as as the symmetric tour continues to grow, there's still those fans that are chopping at the bit for more 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 involvement in, in, uh, in, in behind the scenes of what goes on in their lives. And that's kind of one thing that I've liked to, I've loved to incorporate since I started is, uh, you know, like this, this week, for instance, if you follow our Instagram page at Roadtail PGA, you get, 
they get seven different players every different every day doing a takeover. So they're they're gonna take over the account and they'll take you through a day in their life and what they do, um, whether it's from practicing to traveling to. A lot of them like to eat different good foods. So whatever it may be, you'll see a, a different taste of someone from a different background, a different culture that uh, how they how they prepare for a golf tournament, what they do during their off time. And it takes you in, in behind the scenes of their life and what they do. And I think it's, it's a way to, plat, uh, to um, market themselves. And it's also a way to market the tour as well to showcase exactly what these girls do and, and who they are because you know without them the tour is, is nothing they're 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 what makes there's they're what stirs the drink and they're what everybody comes out to see and what we enjoy um showcasing on a national and international platform so it's yeah social media is a huge thing and it's never if anything it's only going to grow but you know because you always hear the people who talk about all oh, this it can't last forever but Social media is never going to go away. It might, it might change. It might change and and take different courses, but it's always going to find a way to connect people um, and have people staring down at their phones. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see that. Let me just ask you one other quick question, and then, then Cindy, uh, I'll let you uh, have it again. Um, the idea of travel for some of these young ladies, I'm sure is very difficult, especially because they've, they're coming from overseas. They're not familiar with, uh, with the landscape over here. Uh, does the tour have a facility in place to help them uh, with travel uh, and, and getting from place to place? Or is there, are they pretty much sort of left on their own? Yeah. You know, they're kind of, that's a big, that's a learning curve for them. And I think that's, that's kind of a good thing as well, because, it, it it allows them to, in a sense, I mean, like grow up in a positive in a positive way. You know what I mean? Not not necessarily like you need to grow up, but you know they're growing up in a in a sense that right. that they're learning learning uh, what goes into the professional world, and that that's something that obviously like you talk. I've talked to Mooney last week and she talks about how, the difference between amateur and professional life, and she has her family travel with her extensively, but. You know, it's still a completely different ball game than traveling in an amateur from an amateur um, career standpoint, and I think that that's unique about. I mean, the LPGA obviously girls travel there as well, and they're on their own with that. But um, they're, they're, it's a unique way to to kind of show them the ropes, and it makes it makes it a little tougher too, obviously, because you got you not you're not only worrying about golf, you're worrying about traveling and where you're staying and but I, I think the tour does do a really excellent job at each stop that we have with host housing um we have a host host housing volunteer that at every stop on the way um gets a a huge collection of of uh, local families at the tournament stop to host uh, a player or two and girls take large advantage of that um a lot of times, some a couple, a few, uh, one, two, or three, or you know, a couple or a few will stay together at a single house, and that definitely is something that uh, is the tour has done really well with is is that aspect, and that makes it a little easier. But as far as you know, traveling, driving, or flying, most girls drive, um, and and with the way our schedule is set up, it's region to region, so it allows them to to drive that way. Um, 
from stop to stop and and it's 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 not too not too difficult once you once you map it out it can be a it can be challenging sometimes but tell you what it goes back to kind of what i said earlier with how unique the travel is to to see the countryside and to see the different stops along the way but also everything in between uh that that you don't necessarily get to see pictures of and people don't share is the stops uh that you make uh, along the highway or between between visits and between tournaments. Very cool. Um, Cindy, any final thoughts or, or uh, questions that you have for Zach before we uh, we move on? Oh, I'm good. I'm I appreciate you joining us. This was great. That was a good time. Well, Zach, thank yeah, thank you, Zach, for uh, for filling in. We appreciate that, and uh, we know you've got. Uh, so, what's coming up this week? What uh, what what's the next event? So this week we're off. Um, and then next week we have the second annual Donald Ross Classic at French Lick Resort. That's the first of three tournaments for us. And then we, we after French Lick, we go to Rochester, New York, then Albany, New York, and then we're back to a week off. Um, and, uh, yeah, it'll be a good good three-week stretch for July, kind of uh, three quick tournaments. And then we'll, we have a huge stretch at the end, which which I'm sure we'll talk about closer to the middle of August, but that's what we got coming up in July. Perfect. Well, Zach, uh, thank you very much again for joining us this morning. We appreciate uh, the update. And and again, thank you for filling in and, and uh, we'll try and maybe get uh, Mooney on uh, next week uh, if possible and, and uh, talk about her win a little bit more, but, uh, but uh, have a great week off and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Cindy. Have a good week. You too. All right. All right, that was uh, Symmetra Tours Media and Public Relations Official Zach Sapanek, uh, as I said, filling in this morning for Mooney He, uh, winner of the inaugural Prasco Charity Championship at TPC Rivers Bend this past weekend. Uh, unfortunately, she wasn't able to join us this morning, so Zach very graciously filled in. Uh, uh, very interesting, you know, some of the things he was saying about uh, social media and, and about travel as well. Uh, and and obviously, of course, the race for the uh, the Volvic card is, is something that they're all uh, – uh, in addition to winning tournaments, of course, they're all aspiring to uh, to, to get that uh, coveted LPGA uh, card for next season. So they're all in a race to do that and and um, playing the, their best golf out there. And and boy, I'll tell you, some of the stats that he read off earlier about Mooney is just incredible. Uh, you know, the greens and regulation and fairways and and so forth. Uh, quite an impressive player, Cindy. Absolutely, holy cow. We won't. We won't even go into the driving distance. I mean, that's just un- incredible. I mean, just unbelievable. All right. So, Cindy, we, we've got a, a, another great guest coming on uh, the second half here. Of course, uh, Tina Toombs. She's the founder and president of Tina Toombs Golf uh, at uh, Arizona's uh, Biltmore Golf Club. Uh, and I didn't know this until I read through some of the information, but she was uh, born in Montreal, Quebec. So she's a fellow Canadian uh, to a family of avid golfers, and uh, with a born athleticism, she. Uh, it was natural for her to take up uh, the game of golf, and she's uh, called Arizona her home since 1980, uh, where one can find her perf- perfecting her golf swing uh, on the course at any moment. And uh, she considers uh, her two daughters, Sarah and Heidi, uh, the pride. And um, she also uh, gets uh, much of her inspiration from her spouse, Larry Fisher, also another longtime resident of Arizona, and just a, a whole myriad list of, of accolades that she has accomplished in her career. So let's bring her out, and uh, we'll talk with uh, Tina Toombs this morning.
Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? We're great. Thanks for getting up early for us. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it is a little early for right. us here. Yeah, it is. Um, Cindy, Cindy, you go ahead and start things off, and then I'll jump in. So tell us. Um, I know most of the answers to these questions, but our listeners would love to hear them. You were a really good player on the LPGA Tour, and you have two beautiful daughters. And when you quit playing, how long before you quit playing did you decide that you wanted to become a great teacher that you are? And what spurred <laughs> that decision? Well, um, actually, I was still playing um, while I was teaching. I started teaching in 99, and um, a gal on tour, her name is Margaret um, uh, uh, a good friend of mine. I just went blank on her last name. It's early here. But anyway, a good friend of mine on tour uh, said to me, Tina, why don't you start teaching? Because, of course, I raised the girls for a long time by myself, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she said, Tina, you need to teach. And I said, no, I am not teaching. Because, you know, as a player, sometimes you think you don't want to teach. And um, so I I started teaching, and I was actually coaching. I coached two coach, two uh, teams here in Phoenix. And one was a college team, and I started two um, high school teams at the same time. Um, and so for about three years, I was coaching and then teaching at the same time. And then I just kind of... Uh, moved my way just into teaching. Um, and then in 2002, I retired from playing completely. So that's really how I got into teaching. And um, I fell in love working with the with the young girls. And at the time, I was going through a lot of personal stuff. And I think the, the teaching aspect kept me um, – I was happy doing it. And I felt really good being around the young girls. And um, I think it, it – saved me really it made me feel it made me feel good so it was part of of that transition that kept me um teaching that that why I stayed with it awesome does that make does, yeah yeah that was pretty neat <clears throat> um and then I started I I I was hired by the Biltmore in 2003 um and Everything just grew from there. So I've been at, in the, at the Biltmore for, you know, 15 years. Wow. That's and pretty amazing. Tell us cool. because you really, you really tried to um, – some people quit playing and they just start teaching and they don't improve themselves. And you are one who believes that you need to be a lifelong learner. So mm-hmm. tell us. Why and how you've gotten so good at what you do? Uh, well, thank you, Cindy. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, <laughs> you're sweet. <laughs> well, for me, it's you know, every day we get different students and we get different people in front of us. And for me, um, I learn so much from my students as well. I mean, every day I'm learning from them. Um, and I always feel like when when I'm challenged by a student and I don't know, I don't have the answer. Um, I want to find, I want to go find out what that what that is. 
what the answer is. And the other thing is the more knowledge that I have, the more prepared I am for my students or for anybody that will come to me for a, for a session, whether it be uh, mental practice or encore session or short game putting, whatever it is, I want to be totally prepared. Um, and I'm just, I just love to learn regardless of, of if it's in golf or flowers or anything that I can do, I, I love to learn. So um, it's part of my makeup, I guess. Um, but golf in general, the teaching, it just intrigued me. It really has. And, and I think the mental aspect of the personality and the psychology of it has been really intriguing for me. Um, so the how to transfer the skill of golf to, you know, people – um, at different skill levels and then learn, you know, teaching them how to uh, play golf and, and enjoy it and fall in love with it has been um, my passion. It's what I love about it the most. Awesome. Yeah. Ted? Very cool. Well, Tina, uh, this is Ted, um, and welcome to the hi, show. Hi, Ted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask you, hi, how are you? I want to ask you, um, <laughs> Tina, because I see that you, you graduated from uh, Arizona State University with a BS uh, degree in physical uh, education and uh, minored in anatomy and physiology. So obviously um, the body is, is something that's important, especially for today's tour player. Um, we see a big difference, you know, compared to 20, 30 years ago. Uh, not to say that the ladies weren't in great shape, but um, the physical education part wasn't really a priority. It was more about the golf swing and that. So what are some of the differences that you see with today's tour players, especially the young ladies that you might be working with, um, and their dedication to making sure that they're in great physical shape to, to be able to battle out there in the golf course? Um, I think what they're doing, they're training, they're cross-training today. They're doing a lot more impact and cross-training versus just weightlifting. Um, the, right. the cross training, you know, that they're doing in the gyms and, and the trainers, the TPI fitness, um, has, has, I think, um, you know, taken them to another level and, and the way the TPI has, has trained the athlete, um, to benefit each individual where they need to be trained so that they're stronger, more fit and faster. I think that's what we're seeing with women and men. Um, the young girls today, they don't look, I don't think they look totally like they're built up and they have a ton of muscle, but they're dynamic and those muscles are, are working fast and they're strong. Um, and that's what I really love about it is they're just not like bulky. Um, they're, they're just fast. They're fast and flexible and, and strong and fit. And that's what we're seeing today instead of, you know, athletes just getting bulked up where 20 and 30 years ago we were in the gym and, and weight training and getting strong, but we weren't fast. You know, our, right. our motion wasn't fast. We were getting, we were getting tight instead of strong. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> That's how I, I, the reason why I, yeah. the reason why, yeah, the reason why I asked that is, you know, you look back uh, over the history of, of say the LPJ and, you know, you see powerhouses like Laura Davies, uh, who is obviously um, a, a larger woman and was able to generate a lot of club head speed and, and just belted a mile. And then you see somebody like um, the young lady we were talking about earlier uh, that was going to join us this morning, uh, Mooney He, who just won this past weekend Symmetra event, um, who's really not a very tall player, but obviously very physically fit. 
and she's carrying it 250 yards. So she's able to, you know, even being a, a short uh, young lady from China, uh, is able to belt it a mile out there uh, on the golf course. So do you equate that with, uh, again, not so much the bulking up and things like that, but just the speed and uh, that they're able to generate uh, w- with their, their physical education that they're, they're getting today in the CrossFit and, and all these other uh, options? Well, yeah, I think that, and I think that also they're using they're using great fitness, but they're also starting to use the ground reaction forces, which we never really thought about uh, when when I was playing the tour. I never, I mean, I used the ground, but I don't, I didn't use it like I train people to use the ground now. Um, the other thing is the equipment right now is is you know so much better. Sure. Um, but these these young players and and the tour players, they're using the ground. Um, phenomenally and they're using it in the sequence of the golf swing that is is um you know at 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 the performance and and the timing of that now is is everything is delivered to the golf ball at the right time for maximum power and release of the club head to get the the ball to go the furthest um and they're using you know force plates and they're using body track and they're using you know, pressure boards and stuff like that. They're they're on machines all the time to to tell them exactly when they are on their game and when they're off their game. So I think that the you know the um, like the the launch monitors and everything that they're training with the training tools that they're using, they're just getting feedback so fast that now that they're you know they know when their game is on and when it's not and what they're doing with fitness, if it's right or wrong. Where we didn't have that kind of feedback twenty and thirty years ago. Right, it's you just know, uh, obviously um, more education. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, more I, education train, about use, the. Yeah, about what they're training with. Mhm. Mhm. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I was going to say, like, I'm using I use uh, Flightscope and uh, the Foresight Quad, and also some uh, launch mod, uh, some force force plates, and it's amazing the feedback that I get just teaching with them, and then my students get. Um, you know, when they're trying something different to get more power. I mean, we're finding out that if you're using the left foot at different times in the golf swing, how much more yardage you're getting in club head speed just with, you know, just practicing. So at, at the level, at the top level, these, these athletes are training better, um, you know, doing, you know, cross training, doing it at four to five times a week and then hitting thousands of balls, playing six rounds a week. I mean, they're strong. They're strong and they're fast. So right. they're. I you mentioned that's the biggest reason. Yeah, you mentioned earlier. You you brought up sort of the mental side of the game. That's obviously become more and more important as well. I mean, it's always been there, but I think they're they're more conscious about how important it is to keep it together. I mean, it's great to have the the physical game out there in the golf course, but if you mentally can't keep everything sort of uh, focused on what you need to at the time, you can very quickly derail around. So is that something that you really emphasize uh, in your teaching as well as in, in addition to obviously good fundamentals and, and, and good skills and, and doing some different tips and drills? Uh, do you focus on the mental side of, of that and, and actually how to play and, and how to keep things together out in the golf course? Yeah, because um, I do, because especially at different levels, I, I, I think that I do a lot with vision 54 and um, they're right there in Phoenix. So we do, I do a lot with them. Um, but I think that that as your training, if your mental game isn't as good as your physical, then then you know you're not going to be as good as as you can. Your potential's not going to reach 
you know, you're not you're not going to reach your potential. Um, but even the beginner player, I think, needs to know how to mentally think through the game at their level as the tour player is thinking through theirs. And, and the tour player that plays the best week in and week out is, is has the best mental game because they all have great technique. They all play their game right. the best that they can play it. Um, and that was my big weakness uh, playing and, and is that I wasn't, you know, it's the emotions that you have to learn how to handle um, playing the game more than the technique. I think yeah, the technique you're, you're exactly right. Emotions. And, and... Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. You're, you, yeah. no, that's okay. I was just going to say you're exactly right in that. Um, and, and as I said, that, that can very quickly derail. Um, Cindy, do you have uh, some more questions for, for Tina? Let me ask you how you translate or transfer all the data, you know, the measuring of the flight scope and the force plates and the body track, and how do you help them become more right-brained when they play, especially if they happen to be a very left-brained person? Mm-hmm. I'm really careful how I use the data. Um, for instance, um, when I use the, the the foresight, for instance, and I'm training someone to hit a high shot, a low shot, let's say a low uh, pitch shot, um, I just use the launch angles and I teach them difference in numbers. So I'm never taking um, – and launch angle just tells you high and low. So if someone's listening that doesn't understand that, the launch angle is the height of the ball coming off the face and uh, what the face is doing at impact. And so somebody who doesn't understand that and is trying to hit the ball high or low with a sandwich, for, for, you know, for instance, um, I'll teach them how to use that with those, with those uh, training aids. Um, and then when they go play, they get the feel. So I'm using the numbers and feel at the same time. Um, and then I'll take the machines away and then ask them to repeat it. And then we'll go through the routine because I never take, uh, some people will take a student, you know, and then mirror image a tour player and say, this is what you have to look like. I don't believe that every, that a student looks like a tour player and a tour player looks like another student. Everybody's swing is different. I'm very much, uh, my background is uh, that everybody swings different. Everybody's built different. Um, I don't think any two swings look alike. And so I trained that way as well. And so that's how I use my machines. So when they're out there playing, I take it to a feel versus, uh, even if they don't have feel, I try and create as much feel as I can. Cause I think there's always feel in a student and always feel in people. They just don't know they have it. Um, so if somebody says I can't feel my feet, I tell them to take their shoes off and go barefoot. Um, close your eyes and go barefoot because uh, it's there. They just have never been able to use it. They've never sensed it. Uh, so that's how I kind of train to go into the golf course um, so that they can get a sense of what, what it feels like. Um, so I use numbers and then I go into a feel so that they can uh, change from one to the other. And I'll always go into a routine take the machines away and go into a routine and ask them to perform on the range. And then we'll go out on the golf course and do it. But I have full access to hmm. golf course. I can take my students out there anytime. 
Awesome. Fantastic. Um, Cindy, go ahead. Do you teach a lot of kids? Well, who are the who are the people that you teach the most? Um, I actually have a variety. I have a student that I have students that are in their nineties. I have a couple uh, men that are ninety six and ninety four, and then I have four year olds. Um, I do uh, junior clinics every Sunday, so I have three clinics. I call you know they're super Sundays for my juniors and um, I'm a U.S. kids instructor so I do a lot of um, juniors and uh, women so I have a variety I would say my bulk of my students are women and juniors Um, and uh, you know I have a lot of men as well but I think the the majority are women and students and as I've become uh you know as i'm teaching more and more and i'm doing more for women's golf and juniors because i'm promoting that that segment of the game i'm i'm uh getting more and more junior golfers and women golfers so um i would say women and juniors awesome yeah and i love it i'm having a blast um well and that's that's the key really um you know tina is is when you enjoy what you're doing uh, it doesn't really feel like a job day in, day out. And that's that's the beauty of uh, one of the things that I like about the golf industry as well. It's something that I'm very passionate about, and that's why I enjoy um, being a part of it as well, as, as I know Cindy does. Um, Tina, let me, I, I just have, a, for me, I just have a final question for you, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, obviously, we see a lot of growth in the game, uh, particularly from young girls, probably ranging from, I would say, on average, from about 13 years uh, and up what do you see as the driving force to that why are you seeing a lot of young girls now suddenly taking an interest uh in in coming out and learning to play the game and what do we do in order to keep them because obviously not all of them are going to make it out on on the uh Symmetra or LPJ tours um but what do we do to keep them interested uh you know, well into their, their later lives? What do we need to do as an industry to keep them interested? Because this is something that's fairly uh, a new phenomenon, if you will, for a lot of young, I mean, that's the biggest demographic coming into golf right now, our young girls. So how do we keep them, how do we keep them here? Well, and it's funny that you asked that because um, we were just talking about that at our meetings last week. And I think we need to find, you know, um, more, I think, events in, in our, 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 uh, you know, in our cities, in our, in our associations for young women that are transitioning from high school to college and out of college into business that can network and play golf <laughs> with their peers. Um, a lot of the young girls that come to me with their parents, you know, their other parents want them to play on tour and, and, you know, not all of them, of course, are going to make it. And so I always, you know, explain that, Hey, you know, it's a lifetime sport and, if if we get them to play golf, they're always going to be able to use it in business. They're always going to be able to use it to network and, and make friends and stuff. So that's, I think, the area that we need to focus on to get them to be able to uh, keep playing golf. Um, I have a lot of women that come to me now and say, hey, I want to learn. I have three friends that want to learn. They're all around 45 to 55 and 60 years old, and they're just learning to play golf. So I love to see the young girls wanting to learn to play and getting out here and playing golf. And to keep them, that's, I think, what we have to do is get them engaged in playing in tournaments, fun tournaments in their state or associations or local areas. Um, 
so that they can meet more people and get out and play. Yeah, because that you're right. That does seem to be a, a bit of an issue right now because, you know, when you get, you know, a young girl, like I say, you know, 12, 13 years old that gets in, but maybe isn't good enough to, to make it uh, a little bit later on, either onto a high school golf team or even a, a collegiate golf team, there's sort of a transition period of, okay, what do I do now? Where do I go? You know, I'm not maybe necessarily good enough to, uh, you know, to make it on a professional level uh, or even at a collegiate level, but there's really nothing out here. You know, I, I enjoy getting out playing golf, but, you know, I don't feel like I'm being competitively challenged. So right. I, I agree with you. I think we I think we need to find something, um, you know. And you'll know this, formerly being from Montreal, of course, a uh, a big uh, hockey uh, uh, area. You know, we had sort of like what we'd call a house league in hockey. So for those that maybe weren't going to make it to the NHL, we had uh, you know rural or house leagues uh, available in hockey. Do they maybe kind of need something like that in golf as well in, in a state-wide uh, area, uh, that type of thing, so that, you know, it's not necessarily top professional, but it's something to keep them competitive and, and playing within their communities? Right. Well, I think we need that. But, you know, the other side to it is, is we also have the TNCP where they could get involved um, and go through our, our education programs and get into teaching and and you know, uh, be on that business side of it, and they'll be able to play and compete in our in our teaching um, uh, tournaments. And our, our we have lots of tournaments that we have locally all over the country, and then our national tournaments and pro-ams and stuff. So there's that avenue as well that they can go into, mm-hmm. which we are also campaigning on, which I think that is something that um, we haven't done as well as, as we can do um, to, uh, you know, promote them to to go in that direction so i think there's a lot of avenues in in state and nationally that we can be promoting them to do yeah definitely well said perfect um cindy any final thoughts or or questions that you have i'm good i just want to thank tina for joining us today and for doing everything that you do you are a great leader in this game and i'm honored to call you my bud (laughs) <laughs> me too, Cindy. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on this morning. I really, really enjoyed it, and I set my alarm nice and early. <laughs> <laughs> well, you my were, you were perfect. Sure you uh, drink a lot of water. <laughs> well, thank you <laughs> well very said. much for having me. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank uh, very, you. Love you. very quickly, Tina. Before, we, yeah, very quickly, Tina. Before you go. Um, for those that maybe want to reach out to you uh, that are in Arizona or coming to Arizona, uh, how can they reach out to you? Where can they go to learn more about Tina uh, Toombs Golf? Um, I have a website, and my website is Tina at Tina Toombs, T-O-M-B-S, golf.com. And uh, my golf school is at the Arizona Biltmore Golf Resort. So um, if they want to get in touch with me, they can go onto my website, and all my contact information is there. Um, and uh, they can email me there and, or call me. My phone number's on my website as well. And uh, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Well, perfect. Um, well, thank you again uh, on behalf of Cindy and I. Thank you, Tina, for joining us this morning. We appreciate it and enjoy the conversation. And uh, uh, go out and have some fun today. Okay, thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Stay cool. Bye. All right, that was our very special guest, uh, Tina Toombs, uh, president and founder of Tina Toombs Golf 
Uh, you can uh, find her website at tinatoomsgolf.com and all of her contact information there. And, of course, you can also uh, reach out to her at the Era, Arizona uh, Biltmore uh, Golf Resort in, of course, Arizona. Uh, also, again, thanks uh, to Zach Sapanik for filling in this morning, uh, the Symmetra Tours uh, media and public relations official. Uh, thanks again, Zach, for joining us. And thank you, the listeners, for faithfully tuning in each and every week. Uh, we appreciate your support. And we will be back next week with uh, some more great guests here on the show. So thanks for joining us. Have a great week, everybody, and God bless. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Dan. Have a good one. All right, you too. Bye-bye.